The title of this morning's sermon is Counting Our Days, Part 1. We are going to lift our text from Psalm 90. So let us rise from our seats right now. Let us honor God's Word as we read Psalm 90. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning, they are like glass which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening, it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath, we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Shall we bow our heads and please join me in prayer our heavenly father once again we thank you for today this is the highlight day of our week indeed we need to put our minds and our hearts to rest and fix our eyes on you fix our gaze on your beauty for indeed you are a beautiful majestic god in all splendor and glory and we come before you right now with humble hearts, with a humble posture. And we ask, O oh God, that we might receive from you once again through your word. We pray that you might instruct us, admonish us, so that we might live our lives in wisdom. We pray, O oh God, that we will not be like foolish men and foolish, foolish women who have lived their lives in waste. We pray, O oh God, that you might minister to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Even as I pray for myself, O oh God, that you might use me mightily, give me confidence, and give me your power, that I might be your mouthpiece today. 
We give you back the glory, the praises and thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. I'd like to share to you from Psalm 90. And probably some of you are wondering, why did I pick Psalm 90 today for our study? Well, there are two reasons that I can think of. First of all, we find that the book of Psalms have been attributed to many authors, particularly David is one of the authors, then we have Asaph, and then we have the sons of Korah, and probably a few Psalms come from Solomon. But we have here one Psalm that is attributed to Moses, who is called the man of God here, by the way. Now, Moses, of course, is a very important person to us, not only because he was a deliverer to the nation of Israel, but he was the very first writer of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch, was attributed to him. And so he was the very first writer of the Bible. And not only that, we know that Moses composed a few other psalms, but here we find his one single psalm here in the book of Psalms. And so what is the importance and significance of this? The significance, of course, is that this must be the oldest psalm that was written by a biblical writer. And if only for that reason, and the fact that it is coming from Moses, gives us great reason to be able to study this passage of Scripture. Now note also the title that was given to him. It says, Moses, a man of God. Now that phrase, man of God, has been used about 70 times in the Bible. 70 times in the Old Testament, I believe. And so what does that mean? Well, it is a title that speaks of a person who is a mouthpiece or a spokesperson of God. So just by looking at the one who wrote this gives us reason to study this. Now, here is another reason why I believe we need to study this psalm. It has a contemporary significance in the light of what you and I are going through. There is no other time in the history of our own generation that we have experienced something like this. I'm talking about the coronavirus, this pandemic crisis that we are going through. And this crisis has shown us more than at any other time the fragility of life as well as the brevity of life. You know, let me just share to you some very personal things. I have lost one of my contemporary pastors whom I had worked with for some years, probably about seven years. And I have lost him, or we have lost him, to COVID-19. An elder of a former church that I was attending is now fighting for his life and is now in the hospital. He is one of those who had become victims of COVID-19. 
And I think I also mentioned to you the fact that there have been some members of our church who passed away as a result of COVID-19. Many members of our church likewise have been infected by this virus and they will tell you how brutal this virus is. And we thank God, however, that they have been spared and that they continue to live and tell their own stories of how God delivered them from this pandemic crisis. But two things, two realizations that we have right now. Number one, the fragility of life. And number two, the brevity of life. That is why here in this psalm, we are given wisdom by Moses. And I hope that we will truly imbibe all the things that we will learn today from this psalm. Now, there is a strong and compelling message in this psalm that needs to be heard all over the world. So allow me to share Moses' threefold message in this psalm. In verses 1 to 2, Moses talks about the eternality of God, the eternality of God. In verses 3 to 11, he talks about the temporality of man. And finally, in verses 12 to 17, man's proper response and man's petitions for his short existence. Now, there are several sub-points under these three major points, but I decided to just give you the short uh, outline for this so that we can go and dive in immediately to our text. So let's talk about the eternality of God as found in verses 1 and 2. It says in verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now verse 1 tells us about three very important things. Number one, verse 1 tells us that God was already there even before man was created. And of course, God has always been our refuge. He has always been our protecting shelter ever since. By the way, the NASB says that He is our dwelling place. And so clearly, God was there before man's creation. Secondly, it teaches us that God was there even before creation was made. And finally, it teaches us that God was there from everlasting to everlasting. He was there from the very beginning. So God is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. Now, I would like you to see the progression that we find here in verse 1. First, He was there before the existence of man. Number two, He was there before the creation of the world. And number three, he has been there from eternity past. So I'd like you to see the progression here. Now let's talk about the contrast between God and man as we talk about the temporality of man as found in verses 3 to 11. 
in verse 3, we're going to talk about the expiration date of men. Verse 3 reads, You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men. Now, in contrast to God, man exists within the space of time. He was created from dust, and according to this verse of Scripture, to dust he shall return. Now, the general consensus of many Bible scholars is that this was written near the time of Moses' death. And so there were certain realizations that Moses had. First of all, he realized that his earthly pilgrimage was near the end. And probably as he reflected upon his life, he must have realized how brief and how short was his existence. And so he concludes that the existence of man is very brief and it is actually very short. Now, many of us fail to understand that we are actually an endangered species. A lot of us do not want to talk about death because death is something that a lot of people fear. And so there is a hush, hush, whenever there is a talk about somebody who died or somebody who is dying. We don't want to talk about it at all. Why? Because this is something that we are in denial of. Now, no matter how much we deny the existence or the reality of death, it is something that will meet us one day. Now, we find here the contrast with God once again in verse 4. It says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. In contrast to man, God does not exist within space and time. God, in fact, is beyond space and time, and therefore, His existence cannot be measured at all. We can only conclude that God is infinite. Now, man's existence, however, is finite, and therefore, it is measurable. For example, in our case right now, it's been about maybe five months that we have been in quarantine. And many of us are saying, it's been a long, long time that we have been in quarantine. We feel like we have been caged. We feel like we are imprisoned. We feel like animals in the zoo. We do not have the freedom that we used to have. And so this kind of a situation is worrying and we are measuring this boredom. We are measuring this quarantine time within the limits of space and time. And therefore, we find that this is quite lengthy for us. But you know, there is no such thing in the mind of God. God is beyond space and time. It is, in fact, a concept that might be difficult for us to comprehend. If we could understand it, if we could have a handle on it, then it means that we are God. But we are not God. And therefore, this is something we have to understand. I like what David Jeremiah said. 
he said, eternity lives outside of time. That God is eternal is a difficult concept for mere mortals to comprehend. Let me just repeat that. Eternity lives outside of time. That God is eternal is a difficult concept for mere mortals to comprehend. We will never be able to understand that God is beyond space and time. We will not be able to understand how God in his infinity measures time according to his own attributes. I'd like to share to you once again what verse 4 says. It says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. Now the watch is a four-hour period. Now, why do you think Moses writes that down? Because in so far as we are concerned, just to use a human analogy, for us, it's, about, it's been about how many months that we have been in quarantine? We've been five months in quarantine. But in so far as God is concerned, using this phraseology, it is just a watch, a four-hour period. And so there is a huge difference between the way we measure time and the way God measures it. Again, it happens because God is beyond space and time. Now, in verses 5 to 6, I'd like to discuss to you the fleeting nature of man's existence. Look at verse 5 and 6. Look at the descriptions we find here. It says, you have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning, they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening, it fades and withers away. So here we find man's brevity of existence described in similes or comparisons. And this basically tells us the shortness of our own human existence. We are here today, but then gone tomorrow. How time flies by. There are many memories that I have of my own childhood, and there are many vivid memories that I have of my teenage years, my young adult years, my early pastoral years, and yet when I reflect on it, it seems like time just blew by. And now I am almost a senior citizen. Time here on earth, when it comes to our own human existence, is extremely short. In a few years, of course, I know that I will go home to be with the Lord. Now, the shortening of our existence is found in verse 7 because of our sins. Let me just read to you verse 7. It says, For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we have been dismayed. Now what does this verse tell us? Man's existence by itself is already short. But it has further been shortened by our own sinfulness. 
Now, this initially came because of the sin of our forefathers, our ancestors, Adam and Eve. Remember, they were forbidden by God to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they were given a warning. And what was that warning as we find it in Genesis chapter 2? Let me just read to you verses 16 and 17 at this time. It says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, if you go to the Hebrew text here, the original manuscript tells us that the death here is twice. The death here happens twice. In other words, if you were to do a literal translation of this warning, God said, you will die twice. And that is exactly what has happened in the case of Adam and Eve. That is exactly what has happened in our case. The first death, of course, that we need to talk about is spiritual death. Now, death speaks about separation. And what happened in the case of Adam and Eve was a separation of relationship and fellowship with God. There was a separation of fellowship as well as relationship with God. That began here in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve lost their connection with God. They were no longer the friend of God at this juncture. They had become enemies of God as a result of this rebellion. But not only are we talking about spiritual death, eventually you and I know that Adam and Eve likewise died physically. Now in our physical death, there is a judgment that is awaiting every human being. And that judgment, of course, is called the lake of fire. Now this, of course, is an expression of this spiritual death that you and I and our forefathers have experienced. Now in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, this is what it says. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now there is no escaping that. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So not only is Adam and Eve, not only was Adam and Eve accountable to God, every human being, every man and woman that commits a sin or sins against God is accountable before Him. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. There is a penalty for the sins that you and I commit against God. Now, is there any way you and I can escape this sin? Is there any way that we can escape this knowledge that God has in relation to our sins? Now, verse 8 tells us that God 
has full knowledge of our sins. And that is why there is no escaping this penalty. God knows everything that you and I have committed in this earthly existence that we have. Now take note of what verse 8 says. It goes, you have placed our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. And so what does this tell us? This tells us that we cannot hide our sins. God knows the skeletons in our closets. God knows the dirty linen that we have in our backyards. And there is no hiding of these sins. God remembers every single one of those things that we have committed against Him. Our transgressions, our iniquities, our sins. He knows every single one of them. He knows the lies that we have committed. He knows the idle words that we have spoken. He knows those lustful, evil, blasphemous thoughts that you and I have. Every single one of them is recorded in God's book of knowledge. And that is why we expect that He will judge every single one of them and He will judge them fairly and justly. That is what we know of God and that is what we find out in verse 8. Now we know that whatever judgment God makes, it would be righteous. And that is why in verse 9, we're going to talk about God's righteous judgment. And verse 9 reads, For all our days have declined in your fury, we have finished our years like a sigh. Now this verse tells us that God is a God of justice. And therefore, He is justified in pouring out His wrath upon our sins. Now I will discuss this even lengthily later on. But aside from that fact, it says here, We have finished our years like a sigh. Now the sigh here specifically talks about the weariness of life. Life is really tiresome. Life is really exhausting. And that is what you and I experience as well in this earthly existence of ours. And that too, by the way, is as a result of our own sins. And again, as I mentioned to you, I will speak about this lengthily more as we move forward. Now in verse 10, we're going to talk about man's short and painful tenure. And so allow me to read verse 10 at this time. It says, As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone and we fly away. Did you know that man used to live longer than 70 or 80 years old? Now if you have been an ardent reader of the scriptures, you know what I am talking about. Man used to live a lot longer 
than what we have right now. So let me just cite to you some examples beginning at Genesis chapter 5 and verse 5. It says, so all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. Can you imagine living for 930 years? And yet it says, and he died. Verse 8. So all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. So all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. Verse 17. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. Verse 20. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Verse 27. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Now, did you notice something with all the names that I read to you a while ago? All of these men averaged more than 900 years of human existence. Now, that is so mind-blowing. How can you possibly live for 900 years? But that is recorded for us in the scriptures. That was how people lived early on in this young earth existence. But I'd also like to make mention of the fact that not only did they live long, there is a phrase here that constantly repeats itself. He died. He died. He died. He died. So all of these men, no matter how long their existence was, they eventually died. And that is likewise true of each and every one of us. We may want to deny that. We may want to skirt the discussion about our own death. We might have the best doctors in the world, the best vitamins in the world, the best medicine in the world, the best hospitals in the world. And yet, no matter how hard we try to live longer, when it is our expiration date, we have no control of that. We will all eventually die. And that is something that is, that is needed to be a realization in our lives, if only to be of benefit to us. When we realize the fragility and the brevity of our own lives, it will be of benefit to us. Now, after the flood and the Tower of Babel fiasco, man's lifespan gradually declined until finally, as Moses describes it to us, we have 70 years, and if we get blessed, we might get to live up to 80 years old. So, if you get to live 80 years old, it's a bonus already, or more than 80. Wow, that's an even super bonus as well. Not only that, not only is our existence brief and fragile, what does this psalm 
say to us, Psalm 90 verse 10. It says, Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. It is but labor and sorrow. So we are not to be confused nor confounded when you and I are exhausted, when you and I are burnt out, when you and I feel sorrow, when you and I feel tired, that is part of the human existence that we have again as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve. That's why I'd like to bring you back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 at this time. It says, Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. Now watch this. It says, In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Look at verse 18. But thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread, till you return to the ground, because from it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So not only is our existence brief, not only is it fragile, but according to the description of the psalmist Moses, he tells us that our existence is filled with labor and with sorrow. That is why do not be surprised if you feel exhausted. Do not feel surprised if at times you go through depression. Do not be surprised if at times you feel burnt out and weary and tired of this human existence. That is part of what has happened to us as a result of the sins of our forefathers, Adam and Eve. Now in verse 11, I'd like to talk to you about God's just demand in verse 11. It says, Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you. Now the phrase that I'd like to focus on here is this phrase, according to the fear that is due you. According to the fear that is due you. What it simply means is this, God is a holy God and the difference between us and God is that God is absolutely pure. He is absolutely holy. And yet we ourselves are absolutely sinful. Our lives have been tainted and marred and soiled by sin. And because God is a holy God, this holy God demands justice from us. That is why, again, the phrase says, according to the fear that is due you. Now, when we go to the New Testament, this justice that God demands is written in the very first chapter of Romans. 
And I'd like to read to you Romans chapter 1, verses 18, all the way to verse 21. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. So far in our study today, you probably are thinking, Pastor Mel, you have just painted before us a very depressing and very dark picture of our own human existence. You have outlined to us the many things that we have to go through. You have spoken to us about the brevity of life. You have spoken to us about the fragility of life. You have talked to us about the fact that our years are filled with labor and filled with sorrow. That we will experience exhaustion, that we will experience burnt out, that we will experience despondency in this life. And that it used to be that the existence of man was 900 years above, at least with the names that you read before us. And now we just have 70 years. Maybe some of us may not even get to live up to 70 years or even 80 years. Oh, Pastor Mel, you have just painted a very dark, a very gloomy, a very depressing picture of our own human existence. Well, friends, I need to tell you the truth. Because it is the truth that sets us free. It is the truth of these things that makes us realize that you and I are accountable before a holy God. The problem with a lot of people is that they are in denial. That is why they are living their lives as if God does not exist. They live their lives as if the only thing that they can possibly have is in this earthly existence. That is, that is why they work their hearts off with what? Trying to achieve success. Trying to gain more money. Trying to satisfy themselves with all kinds of pleasures. That is what a lot of people have been doing because they have denied their accountability before God. They have denied the fact that life is brief, life is short, life is fragile, and that we are merely mortal beings. It does not do us any good to deny the truth of these realities. Now you may hate me for saying all of these things that are involved in the scheme of life. But then again, friends, 
I'd like to close this particular section of our study with great hope. Because yes, dear brothers and sisters, God has painted before us in this song a gloomy, dark picture. But then again, we are not left without hope. Because our God is a God of compassion. Because He is a God of mercy. Because He is a God of loving kindness. Because He is a God of grace. There is a provision that has been handed over and given to us. So that even though our earthly existence is brief. Even though our earthly existence is fragile. Even though our earthly existence is filled with, with sorrow and with labor, we have a hope that goes beyond this earthly existence. It is a hope that extends all the way to eternity. And that hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the answer to all the woes of sin that you and I have. Sin has brought us down. Sin has destroyed our hope. Sin has devastated our lives. Sin has destroyed our marriages and our children. Sin has crept into every aspect of our lives and it has messed us up. But praise be to God, there is hope in Jesus Christ. Because in His death in Calvary, in His death at the cross, He provided the justice that God demands from us. By dying for us, He paid the penalty of our sins. And by doing that, He is now extending to us the free gift of eternal life which can be ours as we receive the righteousness that comes only through what Christ has done in Calvary. And therefore, if you surrender your life to Christ right now, if you make Him your Lord and your Savior, if you repent of all your sins, if you acknowledge the fact that salvation can only be accomplished and achieved through His person and through His work in Calvary, then you are given the free gift of eternal life. Oh, I'd like to read to you Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 14. It says, For by one offering He has perfected for all time. Those who are sanctified, we are all imperfect. But through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it says, He has perfected us for all time. And then in verse 15, it reads, And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind, I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, 
there is no longer any offering for sin. Did you get what this passage was telling us? That through Christ, we have been perfected for all time. And that means that our past, our present, and even our future sins have been forgiven. And then did you read what it says here that he will put his laws upon our hearts? How does that happen? When you accept Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who inspired the holy writings of Scripture. And so it is the Holy Spirit who will write the Scripture in our hearts, in our minds. And because He writes it in our hearts, you and I get convicted every time you and I sin against Him. And we are brought back to our knees. We are brought back to repentance. We are brought to confession. And the promise of God is if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The relationship remains intact. And the fellowship continues because of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, we do not fear any condemnation. Why? Because in verse 17 it says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. God will not remember any one of our sins. Not that he has amnesia. Not that he has a problem with Alzheimer's. Of, of course, he knows every single sin that we have committed against him. But what it merely says here is that he has determined not to condemn us. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ has covered all of those sins and because all of those sins are covered it says in verse 18 now where there is forgiveness of these things there is no longer any offering for sin meaning to say you don't need to work for it meaning to say you don't have to to do anything you don't need to offer sacrifices you don't need to perform any good works the work of Christ is sufficient the work of Christ is adequate the work of Jesus Christ is complete so all you need to do is receive it and so I appeal to those of you right now who are listening to me who have never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life bow your knee at this time make him the Lord and Savior of your life and I tell you Yes, this earthly existence that you and I have will still be short. It will still be brief. It will still be fragile. It will still be filled with labor and with sorrow. The tribulations will still be there. The adversities will still be there. But let me tell you this. When this earthly existence ends, we will enter into an eternity of joy an eternity of peace an eternity where there is no sickness no death no pain no sorrow 
An eternity wherein you and I will become, will come face to face with our own God. Wherein you and I will live in this perfect place. And we will have this perfect existence. No longer stumbling, no longer fumbling, no longer falling. But continually walking uprightly and righteously. Our conscience will no longer be bothered. There will be no longer any guilt that you and I will feel. Because we will live a perfect existence. And we will be immortal, invincible, eternal, incorruptible. That is the kind of existence that you and I would have. So friends, as we examine and summarize this psalm, what did we learn? What did we see? We saw the eternality of God. And we saw the temporality of man. What did we see as well? We saw the absolute holiness of God. And we have seen as well our utter sinfulness. So what should be our posture before this great God? Our posture before this great God should be humility, should be submission, and should be surrender. And when that happens, we can say, it is well with my soul. And I pray that will be true in your case. Let these truths resonate in our hearts, in our minds. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for this blessed time you've given us, O oh God. We thank you, dear Lord, that you have shown us the difference between you and us. But thank you, Lord, though from our side there is darkness and gloominess, on your side it's all bright and there is so much hope. And we thank you. That for those of us who have made Jesus the Lord and Savior of our lives, we have been transferred from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of marvelous light. So thank you, dear Lord, for making that and accomplishing that for us. You and you alone deserve the highest praise and the highest glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.